Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is David Frangioni, CEO and publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine. So excited about our new podcast, The Modern Drummer Podcast. This weekly podcast will bring modern drummer to life. Sit back and enjoy fresh, fun, and insightful conversations with today's top drummers, producers, musicians, beat makers, and craftsmen. Whether you're a professional, a hobbyist, drummer, musician, programmer, producer, or just love music, this show is for you. Every other week, the Modern Drummer Podcast will feature world-renowned producer, songwriter, and drummer, Narda Michael Walden. Narda Michael Walden's Upbeat is featured exclusively on the Modern Drummer Podcast. Hey, 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 this is Brother Narda Michael Walden for the beautiful, upbeat, modern drummer podcast we have going. We're so excited. It's got so much energy coming down. So many beautiful interviews from Will Calhoun to the great Billy Cobham and my man uh, from Slyner Family Stone, Gregory Rico. <laughs> oh my God. And we have so many good things coming up in the future. But this week is a rock star legend who really whooped me, taught me, showed me when I was a kid uh, how it's done. His name is Carmine Apice. And I heard him with Vanilla Fudge, as so many of us have heard him with, with Vanilla Fudge. But the things he did magically with his foot, with his hand, with his spirit, and dynamics. Shit, like that. You know what I mean? It could be really, really, really uh, powerful and then get really tiny, tiny soft you know, in a whisper. And be funky and be rocky and take, you know, those classics of a semi free, why don't you, babe? You know, from Holland Ocean, Holland Supremes, and then flip it into a rock jam, a classic for all time. So I have so much love for Carmine and his work also with Jeff Beck, everything he's done with Rod Stewart, Do You Think I'm Sexy? So check out the interview coming up now with, uh, with the great uh, Carmine Apice, my dear brother, my dear friend, and a true musician on the drums, and uh, a rock star supreme. Carmine! Hey, dude, how you doing, man? <laughs> Good to see you. Wow, I, was, I should have wore one of my glitter outfits. Oh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, wore, I wore it for you because I knew you'd like it, man. Yeah, I do like it. <laughs> well, we have a show on Thursday, which I want you to do. And, and every Thursday, what I do is I wear one of my old stage outfits, which have different glitter and all these 
just for the hell of it, just for fun, you know. That's right. That's right. So they so they can bust my chops about it on there. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so it's all good. Yeah, man. You're looking really well, man. Yeah, I feel good. I'm uh, I'm here in my studio. I just built this little studio here. There's the drums. Wow. You know, I got the room mics in there next to the uh the the um what do you call it? The treadmill and had all the gold records and all that stuff here. So I'm uh I'm great. So it's great to have a a place where you can just walk in. The drums are set up. They're already mic'd. You turn on the computer and you're ready to rock. You know? Oh, yeah. Fantastic, man. I remember being in your house in uh, San Francisco years and years ago. You had the indoor pool and yeah. you had the studio. You had everything there. You still oh. in that place or not? You no, know? no, not in that place. I have my great recording studio, Tarpan Studios. Which I'm oh, in this now. Is your, I'm in this my is yours? Uh, yeah, great, I've, been yeah, in, yeah. I've been in this studio since '85. Yeah, but the home beautiful. you came to was called Sacred Rock. Yeah, that was awesome, man. Yeah, it was an awesome was, time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Cool. Well, I just want to I just want to say hi, man, and thank you for your time. And hi, I want to no first problem. off start off by saying I just love you. I love your playing. I love your your work. I love your heart. Uh, your passion. Yeah. When I'm when I'm coming up, we heard Vanilla Fudge, man. That's the first time I'm hearing yeah. you, yeah, and I just have, I have to say to you that you open the door wide open because of your interpretation of the song, for example, you know, the, the Supremes Jam yeah. and, and the People Get Ready by Curtis Mayfield. You put so much new life. Yeah. And, 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 the, and from a drumming standpoint, we were knocked out and we're oh, still knocked out you. by you. Yeah. So thank that's you. all I want to say to you, man, from the very well, beginning. I, I, I signed that you. one too. I signed yeah. that one. People can, get you, ready. Can, you, can you speak about that at all as we, as we begin to talk to you? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, well, those days started uh, in Long Island. There was a, a fad of doing what we call production numbers. Now, Leslie West was involved in a group called The Wait, The Vagrants. You had a group called The Illusion. You had, uh, you know, a lot of the groups from that era were doing production numbers. Right. So we just happened that when I joined the Pigeons, they were called the Pigeons vanilla, instead of Vanilla Fudge. They they asked me to join because they wanted to do these production numbers and, and use more technical drumming parts, and they wanted a drum who could sing. So I've been singing all my life. I've been saying doo-wop and, and subways of Brooklyn and all that stuff. And and uh, I studied, you know, I, I learned technical. I went to all the great books. And then uh, I started playing with them. It's the first time I ever played with a bass player because my other bands had left-hand bass on the keyboard, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I started playing with Tim Bogart, he was an amazing player. And I said, wow, this, this band is amazing. Mark Stein's vocals and his keyboard playing, many great guitar player, rhythm player, a good singer. So I, I naturally went with them and we were doing all these different arrangements live. But I did notice when certain songs were done, like we, you know, we used to take the lyric of the song and say, okay, Set me free, why don't you, babe? Get out of my life, why don't you? you know, when you put yourself in that situation lyrically, mm-hmm. the music didn't fit the lyrics. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are more hurting, as we say, hurting yeah. lyrics. Yeah, so we slowed it down and gave it that hurting, really, really, you know, like what you would feel if you were feeling that. So we surrounded it with that music, with the lyrics, and Mark Stein sang the hell out of it. Oh, yes. Well, when we did People Get Ready, yeah. to me, it, sound, it was like gospel song. So what do you hear when, you know, at the time, 
gospel music was a, a an organ yeah. and voices. So we did an intro, you know, and, and our whole thing were intros with crescendos and then shh, down to nothing where you could hear a pin drop. When we used to play live, when do people get ready or hang it on, we lose that one lonely note. You could hear a pin drop in the whole place, whether we were in a 500 seat place or a 5,000 or a 10,000 seat place. When we come down and there's that one note, total quiet, you know, total quiet. And that's how we knew we had the audience in the palm of our hand, because it was like, yeah, and then shh, down to nothing, you know? So People Get Ready was done that way. All the songs, Eleanor Rigby, you know, Eleanor Rigby was like a great version by the Beatles, but we, we listened to the lyrics and it, it was like a, a haunting graveyard vibe. And that's what we did musically, you know? Yes. So that's what we did with Vanilla Fudge, you know? And, and in those days, we're no PA systems. So I had to play really hard and loud, which I didn't know I was creating something. I was just doing what I had to do. A lot of drummers in the day just didn't care. They just played, you know, and they were drowned out by the amplifiers, but I wanted to be heard because we had such cool parts, you know? Yes. I even put a microphone inside my bass drum and ran it into Tim Bogut's Dual Showman amplifier because we did a lot of R&B. And, you know, the bass and the bass drum were like, had to be tight. Right. And and then when I I went to a porn shop and I saw a uh, that's P A W N by the way mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> that's right. porn that's shop right. that's right <laughs> I went and I found a Leedy Ludwig bass drum for five dollars it was twenty six by fifteen so I said wow mm-hmm. maybe because it's bigger it'll be louder mm-hmm. so I bought it I recovered it spot red sparkle myself and it became louder. And I used that bass drum. And after we had started making the noise, we went to England. We were playing in the speakeasy where everybody would go there. Everybody was there the night we played. It was packed. You know, the Rolling Stones, Jeff Beck group, uh, Jimi Hendrix, The Who, everybody was there. Jim Capaldi, all the drummers came up to me and said, where did you get that bass drum? 26 by 15. And it was loud and it sounded great. And I learned the trick from Dino Dinelli back in the day. We didn't muffle drums in those days. We had two heads, full heads, no hole. We had ripped up newspaper inside. And that would muffle the sound. We even varnished the inside of the shell to cover up any pores. And then any unwanted, uh, uh, like noise or any unwanted frequencies that would ring out would be sucked up by the paper. But it wasn't muffled. It didn't sound like a couch mm-hmm. when you hit it. Okay. You know, so I've been using that. If you look in these bass drums, I got newspaper in. Wow. You know, and it wow. it sounded great. So, so I got that 26 one. And when I got endorsed by Ludwig, I said, you know, the big bass drum worked. I'm going to get two bass drums. Mm-hmm. So I got 26 by 14s. I said, let me get oversized everything. Mm-hmm. So I got a 12 by 15 marching drum as my little Tom. And, and Ludwig put leg stands on it, you know, like, they thought it was going to be put on legs. Yeah. I put it on a snare stand. And I had a 16 by 18 floor and I had a 22 bass drum all over on its side with metal rim, like a rim like a tom. Mm-hmm. That was my big tom. Yeah. And then I had a six and a half inch snare drum, the classical snare drum, chrome. And then I was endorsed by Pasty, so I got a gong. 
Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, Vanilla Fudge is doing all the symphonic stuff and the gong came in handy. And that drum kit was the first maple kit that Ludwig ever made. And you had to really pound on that kit to get the sound on it because they were bigger. Let me, let me ask you, what I'm fascinated by at the time that you, you got into it was so advanced. Like, for example, you had all the inside funk going on. Yeah, because I used to you, listen. Where did you get in all that? That's what I'm talking to get you. You know, Bernard, Bernard Purdy. Yes. Okay. Bernard Purdy, Motown. Right. Stax. Right. I mean, my friend Dean Parrish, who I'm still friends with now. He had a uh, he he was uh, he had a hit song. It was number seventy on the charts. The second song was called "The Skate." Bernard Purdy played on it. And he went boom boom ga boom jinka cha chicka boom boom ga boom jinka ba chicka boom boom ga boom boom ba, and I said, "What is that?" So I immediately copped it. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> immediately. <And> immediately. <laughs> yeah, immediately. And and then I started coming up with my own renditions of it, and then with the fudge, you know, I started coming up with different things based around that. You know, we go boom, boom, gotcha, boom, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And then at the same time, I heard someone coming out of San Francisco, Gregorico, would slide. Yes. And Greg used to tell me how he used to listen to the fudge and he and how he got some of those things, those ideas for me. But then he did it his own way. Yeah. And he was awesome. I love Greg. We just talked to Greg two days ago. Yeah, I love Greg. He's, me too, he's, man. He's but, badass, man. This is what I love about this show. The people yeah. I love, I can talk to and get the inspiration from you. I'm so happy yeah. to be talking to you, yeah. man, because to me, the fact that you played the funk and rock so intently at that time, it's still yeah. living today. Yeah. That stuff is more, it's powerful. It, can, it will never die. It's so, the molecules of it are like, well, we got to have it. Yeah. We got to have yeah. it. It will never yeah. die. Yeah, people say, you know, well, well, you started this this whole heavy rock thing. And, and you know, like, I thank him for it. But, you know, I, I did it out of necessity. There were no mic. There was no, there was no monitors in those days. You know, I remember when we toured with Hendrix, Vanilla Fudge and Hendrix, I had a dual showman amplifier. And I had a sure, little sure mixer with, like, I think, five or six inputs. I had... Two bass drums, I had a, um, a snare drum, uh, two floors. I, I think that was it, right? No symbol, into the mixer, mixer out into the dual showman amp. And I put the dual showman amps in front of the stage, right next to the voice of the theaters. So the drums would be heard. Yeah. Because in those days, you had a guy would have the, 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 the mixing board, which were knobs, on the side of the stage. So he'd run out to the middle, listen to what he's doing, run back, turn the knob, run back to the middle. So it was like that, there was no boards out in the audience. There was no boards, there was no monitors. We had eight voice of the theaters. That was the, you play a 10, 15,000 seat venue. And that was your PA, no monitors, Right. you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember Mitch Mitchell would come up, hey, come on, you mind if I use your drum amps? I go, no, you could use them. So I let Mitch use my drum amps. You know, we, everybody was real tight. Yeah. And we all released records. We all went on tour. You know, all the, all the big groups that are legendary now, you know, Fudge with the Hendrix and the Cream and 
Janice Chaplin and, uh, you know, everybody else. I mean, Sly and the Family Stone, we, we played gigs with them, I think with BBA, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's just uh, great stuff. You know, Tower Power opened for, for BBA in 1973. Ooh. And that was... By the way, awesome. our, our, our Rocco, the bass player, just passed away. Oh, no, really? Did you hear that news? Yeah. I, I didn't was, know. Yeah, just what last night. What did he die of? I don't know. It just happened. Boy, he was such a badass. Oh, yes. Him and oh, Dave, man, were like, yo, man, what is it, baby? Oh, him, him, and Dave, him and David, man. You know, Garibaldi told me he spent one year on the stick and troll first page. Just doing all those stick and trolls on the drums. Right, right. You know? This out of your book, right? No, no, Stick Control, the original Stick Control, George uh, Lawrence Stone. Okay. The great book. Yeah, that everybody went to. Okay, but what about your book now? I know your book has been so instrumental there with everybody. Yeah, my my book is still going. Matter of fact, uh, I just signed um, my whole catalog of books to um, Modern Drummer Publications, who you're doing this for. And uh, Dave Fangioni is a friend of mine, and I hooked him up with my my friend Dave Hakeem. You know Dave Hakeem, right? I don't know if I do. I'm sorry. Yeah, you do. he used to run Warner Brothers uh, publications, DCI. Oh. He ran all that stuff. Okay. Samson. Anyway, he's running Modern Drums for him now, and he's my representative for my endorsements and my all my drum books. You know, beautiful, beautiful. So, so we're doing a whole new marketing plan for all my product, even the books that uh, have been out, not been out in a while. Like I have a hi hat book, which has. <laughs> Over 12,000 variations. Because what it is, it's like a, a bass drum and a snare drum, right? 30 pages of bass drum and snare drum patterns, and then 30 pages of hi hat rhythms. So, like, one page would be like chick, 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 and it has a cutout. So, you take that thing, you cut it out, and you put it over the snare and bass drum. So, you got all those snare and bass drum exercises with that one hi hat rhythm. Mm-hmm. You turn the page. Same thing, turn the page. So you got 30 pages you do with just that one page. And then you times that by 30 pages of these overlays. Mm-hmm. You know, so I released it in 1975. God, man. You know, and then it, then for some reason, uh, they, they took it off the market. So it was too expensive to make the overlays and stuff, you know. Okay. But now with digital printing, it's a lot easier to do. So we're going to re-release that. You know, I got a reggae book. I have a double, uh, double feet book. I have a rudiments to rock book, which is a beginner book. shows rudiments and all that. Uh, my realistic rock. Then I got a realistic rock for kids. It's a kid's book. Beautiful. It has a cartoon versions of me. You know, That's wonderful. It's funny. Let me ask you, going back when you were young, coming up, what, were the, what was the first book of, that, that you learned to do your reading and your, your rudiments? That first time Ted Reed, you into that Ted Reed Syncopation. Okay. And That's who was your teacher? Book. Who was your teacher? I had a guy named Dick Bennett out of Brooklyn, who unfortunately he passed away in March of the uh, virus. Uh, he taught my brother as well. Uh, he was a great, great teacher, and he was lefty. So you take that stick control book that has all the sticking in it. Well, he had to rewrite all his sticking with red, in left, starting with the left hand. So he rewrote the whole book like that. So when I go and I use his book, I see his, all his red sticking, but he was a great jazz, uh, big band drummer. You know, he'd be, we go down his basement, he had an old set of Ludwigs or a Slingerland, 
and he'd be, you know, we'd, we'd practice some songs. It'd be like, you know, and he did that, boom, you know, really taught us how to power a band, you know. So we went through all the books. I went through all the books. I went to Syncopation. I went to Chapin. I went to Stick Control. I went to the Gardner books, um, even Ted Reed Latin book. <clears throat> I just went to all the books that were cool at the time. And I would listen to Gene Cooper, Buddy Rich, Matt Roach, Joe Morello, uh, Wipeout, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sandy Nelson, mm-hmm. Cozy Cole, you know. <laughs> All those guys. That's what I would listen to. Cole's Cole, Cole Ringo's favorite drummer, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, he's yeah. good. He, yeah. He's, he's, he was great. You know, Topsy, part two. Boom, 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 boom. I used to practice all that stuff, you know? Was there anything coming up that gave you trouble that was like you had to really think about how to do certain things for the independency side of things? Well, probably the most trouble that happened, probably most people had, was the Chapin book. Yes. Because you had to keep that ching, 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 and then do all the hand stuff. And then it got into hand and foot. It got to be hard. That's right. Really hard. You know? That's right. And I became friends with Chapin, you know. And uh, that's why I got the idea of the hi-hat book. His second book had layovers, you know, made of plastic. And... Uh, and he, he was an awesome guy. He was always practicing. You, did you know Jim? I, I met him at the NAM show. Yeah. So I was, you know, in awe of him. And yeah. that book, the blue book, was the book yeah, when the I'm 10 book. years old that, that I learned yeah. how to think independency. Yes. And I would yeah. love you to speak to people who don't understand that. Yeah. How the brain can do four things playing the drums. If you sing like you do, you play, you're doing five yeah. things. Yes, five. Talk, yeah. about, talk about independency, man. What a thing it is. It is unbelievable. I, I started teaching. I had a drum studio in 1971. I opened up in Long Island. I was the only one teaching modern rock kind of techniques coupled with the classics. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where I came up with the book and I tested it in my studio there. <clears throat> and we used to take a rock groove and like we used to do, my, my teacher took me to the Chapin book, Righty, and nice. then some of it Lefty. Ooh. You know, and Ooh. I did it to a point i didn't master the whole book but i did to a point so i i took that concept to the to my realistic rock book so i would say okay let's do this regular way meaning as written eight notes let's say go one two boom bop eight you know over there hi-hat and quarter notes eight notes and the and against that so right there you got four-way coordination Mm -hmm. and then we switch around Eight notes on the left hand, right hand on the snare, same bass drum, same hi-hat. So that's six ways to do one pattern. Then I go quarter notes forward, three ways with the hi-hat. Quarter notes backwards, three ways with the hi-hat. Then the ands, like Cobham, when he came out with that. Actually, Ringo, I think, was the first one to do that. Okay, okay. Back in the day. But, you know, I love Billy, and Billy's a good friend now. I still love Billy. Yeah. And... uh, I remember when you replaced Billy with Ma Vishnu, you know, I go, who are they going to get to replace Billy? And I got you. And I met you. I remember when I first met you. You were like 24 years old, dude. Well, I was 21. But I did not replace Billy. Like, no one can replace Billy, man. Come on. I, well, I mean, you did. You did a fantastic job. Anyway, so I do the ends. 
forward three ways with the hi hat. Yeah. And he ends backward. That's 18 ways. Yeah. So that's what I put in the book. But yeah. there's more. I know. If you do eight notes on the hi hat and you do the E's, it goes right into that where you do the EN, where you do the a one, a one, a two, like uh, Oakland Stroke, one, a two, you know? Yeah. So I went through all that. I ended up with 60 ways to do any drum pattern, you know, wow. and I would teach this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Bob Rondinelli, Joe Franco, uh, Joe Franco, a couple of my key students that went on to do what really well and a few other ones, you know, but then I developed the book and, there, and when the book came out, I was really good friends with Joe Morello oh. and, uh, and Joe was great. Everyone has problems with my name of peace or apathy. And we used to do these Ludwig symposiums, which were like, the rock fantasy camps of now, but I was always the only rock guy. Because in okay. 1971, 72, no other rock guy was doing clinics. You know, I had, I had it all to myself. And Joe would go, hey, Apache, he'd call me. You know? <laughs> yeah. you know, and he couldn't see well. You know, we became really good friends. Yeah. And the first time I did a symposium, I was replacing Joe for three days for Ludwig. And I went down early yeah. to, to meet Joe and everything. And I met Joe and and then I'm watching Joe do a clinic, you know, at this symposium. He said, Carmine, why don't you come up and play? We'll do some fours. I'm going, oh, come up and play fours with Joe Morello. No way, right. you know. My little brother, Vinny, was 10 years old at the time. I took him with me yeah. to Florida. He was in Florida. Mm-hmm. And he's going, he's pulling on my pants. Go ahead, Carm, go ahead. I said, no, you go play with Joe Morello, Vinny. You know, I ended up going. Yes. And I, I remember I sat down on the drum kit and there's Joe Morello on my right. My arms were shaking, you know. And so he started, he started a tempo and, you know, it was a jazz tempo. So I joined in because mm-hmm. you know, my teacher taught me that stuff. And I played jazz some gigs, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and then he took a four. And I was supposed to take a four. So he took a four. So I did a four and I was doing a four and I went, well, shh, shh, shh. And then he took a four and he tried to do it and he couldn't. Oh, no. I said, whoa, whoa, that's interesting. You I'm going to do that again. I'm going to keep doing <laughs> I'm going to keep doing that. So I kept doing that. So after we finished, Joe said, that, that hi-hat thing was cool. What was that? You know? I said, yeah, I noticed you didn't know what it was. He goes, no, I didn't know what that was. I don't, never played that. Right. You know? So I taught him what it was, and then we became really good friends, you know? And uh, so I copped a lot of my ideas, like my time signature ideas from Joe. And he would tell me, when the book came out, I sold like 4,000 copies the first year. And he said, oh, man, that is huge. I said, really? I, mean, I was used to selling eight, 900,000 records, right. you know. Right. And at the time, you know, BBA was out. And we, we just went, you know, me and Jeff and Tim. And we had sold 500,000 records like that. So 4,000 books were like nothing. I remember I used to carry the books on tour before people had merchandise. And I used to sell them at the gigs. You know, mm-hmm. just have somebody sign. I never autographed them or nothing like we do today, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then I said, wow, this is brilliant. And then that, and when I got that deal, I wrote it because I went to a Sam Ash music store and I saw a guy, I saw a book, it was by Joel Rothman. Joel, Joel Morello says, Joel Rothman has diarrhea of the pen. Oh. That's terrible, you know, but it was true. He had so many books out and they were all mathematically correct, but not, not anything you could use to play with a band, you know? Yeah. So I saw this one book, Learn to Play Rock Drums. And it was 1971. I looked like a hippie, 
like uh, long hair, had the beads and, you know, and this guy was on the cover of the book. He looked like Elvis Presley, hair combed back like 50s, holding the grip like this, going, learn to play rock drums. I said, what is this? I looked at the material. It was terrible. I'm going to write a book, I said to myself. Mm -hmm. So I went on the road. I was with Cactus and I, instead of getting involved in all the partying and hotel wrecking that we were doing in the day that we didn't know we paid for, Mm -hmm. you know, I wrote for like an hour every night. I wrote the book. In 30 days, I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. So I gave it to my attorney and I had a powerful attorney at the time. He had Vanilla Fudge, You Rascals, Led Zeppelin, uh, um, Jimi Hendrix. He had everybody, you know. He had everybody. So I gave him the book and he got a deal. I got a $500 advance. He said, which is, you know, 1972, $500 was probably worth like five grand today. Mm-hmm. He said, but that's not the good part about it. So what's the good part? Because you own the copyright. I don't even know what that meant. Right. I didn't even know what that meant until like years later, after that, that company folded, I was on, I went to another company and I was able to go to the company because I own the copyright. Yeah. And ever since then, we've been doing deals yes. with Warner Brothers with this guy that's now running modern drama. He was head of Warner Brothers. I did deals with him, you know, and the book made a lot of money and sold. Now I'm at 400,000 plus books, Beautiful, beautiful. you know, and it's still going and we're still coming up with new ideas to market it now on the internet and all that. Carmine, I'm just so taken by also the era when you came on, there was so much around you. Like you mentioned the Rascals, Dino. That yeah. guy was phenomenal as well. He was awesome. awesome. I mean, and you mentioned, okay, Mitch Mitchell, another chop cat with all the great jazz cut. That's jazz my question. Chops. My yeah. question is speak about the time when you exploded, what was around you that okay. was like, you know, uh, yeah. had, had to be like eye opening for you. Yeah, it Talk was. Talk about anything was, you want to say. It, it was great. I mean, when, when I first met Dino, yeah. I was underage. I couldn't get in the Metropole in New York. Yeah. Dino was opening up for Gene Krupa. Oh, okay. And with his, he had a group called Ronnie Speaks and Yellrod, right? And I had to go in with my brother, my older brother's draft card, because in those days it wasn't IDs with your picture. So I went in, I was watching Dino play, and I went, wow. And he, and he came up with this groove that after he played, we talked, and that's when he told me about the bass drum sound. And he had this groove that went, you know, the, the shuffle on both hands, do do da do 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 da do 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 da do 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 da. And he went, do do da, boom boom ga 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 da boom boom ga 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 ga. And went, wow, that is so cool. What is that? What were you playing? And either he wrote it out or I wrote it out as he mouthed it. But I went out of there with it written down. Mm-hmm. And I went home and I practiced. And I got it down really well. And Dino was, you know, I was a fan of Dino at that yeah. point. He was like two or three years older than me. And then when he came out with the Rascals, I started hearing about the Rascals before I was even in Vanilla Fudge. And I went to see them at a, a, a couple of clubs and he was just awesome. Yeah. You know, he's playing, twirling the sticks, boom, 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 you know, boom, boom, yeah. boom, twirling, you know. His moves were like, you know, puppet-like moves and he just looked so cool. He had the 24 by 14 bass drum. Sounded great. They had no bass player, so you really heard that bottom end ringing out from the bass drum. Yeah. And he really was amazing, you know? Yeah. And then after we made it, he was still with the Rascals, but then the Rascals got all poppy and stuff. So 
his his stuff wasn't that great. Even though you can look at some of the videos now, come on up and a few other videos of him, and he's he's just like doing the symbols and <laughs> twirling. And I saw them lately, and yeah, he kind of lost the fire. But he's older. I mean, you understand that. Yeah. But at the time, you know, and then we made it. And it, I always loved Mitch Mitchell because yes. he was he was like a jazz guy in a rock world. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't play heavy. Mm-hmm. He didn't, but he played. Like when, when him and Hendrix would go off, Noel was the guy that held it down, and Mitch and Hendrix would go off, you know, like jazz guys would. Right. You know, Hendrix would be playing and Mitch would be following him. That's right. You know? And it was great. And Mitch yeah. was the nicest guy, really the nicest guy. I love Mitch. Yeah. And Noel, all those guys, and they're all gone. I, I knew Hendrix before he was Hendrix. We used to play in clubs in New York together. When Jimmy James and the, and the Blue Flames, we playing this guitar, you know, playing like that, and, and we were looking up on the West Side, Seventy Seventh and Broadway, which is now a very richy area. But at the time, it was terrible. I mean, it's getting back to that now, the way New York is going. But uh, next time I saw him was at Speakeasy in London. He was Jimi Hendrix, and I knew he was Jimi Hendrix when I first saw. I knew he was Jimi James, I should say. When I first saw the first promotion i seen him eating the guitar playing with his teeth i knew that was jimmy james you know and then i told him that when i met him i said hey man you remember we played together in in new york i told him that story and he said what are you doing here i said i'm playing with vanilla fudge because man i love the fudge i went whoa cool (laughs) so it was was a pretty good uh, re-meet how did your life change from struggling, trying to make it, playing, working, to all of a sudden, you're now superstar. Was a ma- a big thing for your head to go through? Uh, of course. I went to where mm-hmm. you go down, you know. Yeah. Because Ludwig was, Ludwig was on me to do clinics when I was with Vanilla Fudge. Right. You know? And I'd say, I don't want to do clinics, you know? I'm a rock star, you know? I mean, come on. I would drive home to my mother's house in my full stage gear. <laughs> And I walk into the house and all the kids in the neighborhood, oh, come on, you know, I pull up with like an XKE or or a a 61 Jaguar Mach 9, look like a big old Rolls Royce, you know, (laughs) and I get out and I walk into the house, I'm wearing my velvet, ridiculous, you know, (laughs) but, and then in 71, when I wrote the book, that's when Ludwig said to me, look, you got a book coming out, they would buy a thousand books a year if I would do clinics. Said so the clinics are like you go out and you play gigs to sell records, you do clinics to sell books. I said, okay. So I did the first one. The first one was a Sam Ash in Hempstead. I had 800 people at the clinic. You know? Beautiful. And I, Beautiful. I, I mean, I went around the world. I, I, really, I really got into doing clinics. I mean, one time I did a clinic in Paris. I had 1,800 people in the theater. Wow. You know, and I, I carried around roadies. I did disappearing drum solos where puffs of smoke were coming out of the thing. And, the, and when the smoke cleared, my, I'm gone, but the drums are playing. I reappear in the audience. You know, I made the clinic really an event. Houdini. Uh, Houdini. Houdini, yeah. <laughs> I was Houdini. I did, that in, I did that in Japan. I did that with BBA in Japan. I did it with a group called Pearl in Japan in the 90s, but I did it on the clin- a whole clinic tour sponsored by PV. And I had a truck, I had two roadies, I had my drums, I had stage gear, I had lights, I had uh, my big PV monitors, I had the PV PA system. It was like a gig. 
And I would draw 500, 600, 700 people everywhere I went, sometimes 1,000 people. I had I got awards in New Zealand for having over 1,000 people at a clinic there. I did a clinic in Tokyo. I had 2,000 people, you know, and you know, I was like, I really had the market to myself. Yeah. You know, the next guy that started doing clinics was Cozy Powell. You know, but he wasn't a study drummer. He didn't, he didn't know the, the uh, you know, how to talk about eight notes and quarter notes and on the E's and on the U's. And, you know, he just knew, he did it by feel. Mm-hmm. You know? So he yeah. was Jeff's drummer. Then you went on to play with Jeff. So talk about yeah. your connection with, with Jeff. Well, well, that, was, well, that was the whole thing. that well, yeah. Me and Cozy, we had this thing going because yeah. okay. uh, Cactus was supposed to be Jeff Beck, me, Tim Bogan, and Rod Stewart. Rod didn't want to work with Jeff because they had some problems. Okay. okay? So, okay. so we were going to work with Jeff, me, Tim, and, and Jeff, and then we were going to get a singer. The day before, two days before Jeff was coming to meet us with our manager, with Peter Grant, his manager, he got in a car wreck. As you know, he loves cars. You know, he had a car wreck, and they said he won't be able to play or do anything for 18 months. Mm-hmm. So we had just finished breaking Vanilla Fudge up to do Cactus, to do this. So we had no band. So our manager said, what do you want to do? You want to wait for Jeff? Or No, and Jeff wasn't that big yet. Okay. You know, he okay. just did those first two albums. Yeah. You know, they, they sold well, but, you know, Vanilla Fudge was bigger than Jeff Beck. And we, on the, one of our last gigs, we did, he, he opened up for us with the Jeff Beck group at the Singer Bowl in New York. It was uh, 10 years after opening. Actually, Edwin Hawkins Singer's No Happy Day yeah. opened up. Ten years after Jeff Beck Group and Vanilla Fudge, but while Jeff Beck Group was on, and that was the tour that I had gotten John Bonham the same drum kit as mine, right? And he had two bass drums on that tour, so there were two Carmine drum sets up there. One was John's, one was mine. So um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it wasn't two. It was my drum set up there that John yeah. went up and played, yeah. and it was Jeff Beck's drum set, but. While Zeppelin, while Jeff Beck was on, Zeppelin went up and jammed with them. And they were like the hottest thing. And we had to follow that. Mm-hmm. And that's when we realized, you know, that this, there's a new thing going on with guitars and singers that we didn't have with Vanilla Fudge, you know? Okay. So, well, stop anyway, right there we, because check it out. John Bonham is credited you as a big inspiration influence upon him. Yes. That's because yeah, we were don't out there. A lot of yeah. us don't know that. We don't, we don't well, think what John Bonham is like looking to you. But in fact, yeah. that's how it worked out. Well, I mean, John, I was one of his influences, mm-hmm. as, as he told me. And if you read this book, Thunder of Drums, okay. you read that when he came on the first tour with us and I, I called up Ludwig to get him his drum set because I took him under my wing because he was an unknown guy and he was awesome. I mean, his right foot, I said, man, I love that right foot, mm-hmm. that triplet. He goes... He said, man, I got that from you. I said, I don't do that. And he pointed out on one of my records yeah. where I did it yeah. once. I went, bop, bop, bop. I didn't go, I went, bop, bop. So he took that and did it his way. As Joe Morello said, we all steal from each other. Nobody has it all, you know? So I said, oh, great, man. And he showed me on my record where I did. I can't remember what record is now. That was 50 years ago, you know? But uh, but in the Thunder of Drums, it says that when he came back off that first tour, he was friends with Cozy. And him and Cozy, he was, Cozy was on, what was it like? How, how was Carmine there? They were like two kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, so, so I know I influenced Cozy. So anyway, 
So when Jeff didn't make that, me and Tim said, Let, well, let's do Cactus anyway. We've got Jim McCarty, who's an awesome player. Mitch Ryan in Detroit Wheels, Buddy Miles Express. You know, great player. Ooh. And we got Rusty Day from the Amboy Dukes. And we put another kind of super group together with Cactus. Mm-hmm. And we did fine. And two years later, Jeff put his band together with Cozy. And then six months later, he called me and Tim and asked us if we want to, you know, come out with him again. Mm-hmm. And that's when we went. Mm-hmm. So I said to Cozy, oh, so you replaced me in Jeff with Jeff. <laughs> Years later, 76, I get asked to join Rainbow. I couldn't do it because I was playing with Mike Bloomfield in a group called KGB, signed to MCA Records. In those days, you can't be signed to a label and go play with somebody else. You just couldn't do it. So I had to say no. So they got cozy. Mm-hmm. So when I even meet cozy, I say, what are you, my professional replacement? What's with you? <laughs> and I bust his chops a little bit. We were friends. We both laughed, yeah. you know. But, uh, you know, so it was great times, though, because, you know, I mean, even watching Ginger Baker was double brave. Keith Moon, we were friends with Keith. Keith was the most unorthodox player. Never had a hi-hat. He'd, he'd overplay. What he overplayed was his style. It was great, you know, his energy. And he was a crazy man. I mean, I've seen him do crazy things. Like like Tony Williams' lifetime. McLaughlin. Jack Bruce. Stuart Young. Is that the keyboard player? Larry Young. Larry Young. Yeah. And Tony. At Ungano's, a club in New York. Okay. And we're, everybody's watching. They're blowing everybody's mind. What does is, what is Keith do? Goes to the side of the stage, pulls his pants down, and walks right across the front of the stage. I did not know that. And we went, whoa. Mm-hmm. What was that? You know? <laughs> and like Keith was just like, like nothing happened. Pulled his pants up, went on, had another drink. Just crazy stuff like that. You know, yeah. off the wall stuff. Yeah. I had a drum battle with him once on a console TV set at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. He turned it over on its side. Come on, come on, here's some sticks. Let's let's do a little drum battle. You know, and he stopped playing. He go, now you. Okay. See all the stick marks on the on the it's a piece of furniture in those days. It wasn't like, you know, it was it was, it was a cabinet, a beautifully painted cabinet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was it was crazy days. I tell you, yeah. man, I and watching him now, when I look back, he was really a strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had Powerful. stamina. He could he rock for a long time. Even, he did, but he didn't play hard. But he played but he a lot. Had he had it. Yeah, like, he, had it. he had it. He had it. Yeah. I love Keith. I always say the first, the first uh, wave of that era was uh, with me, Ginger Baker, Mitch Mitchell, and Keith. That was the first wave of like drum heroes. Even though Dino was there, was sort of a drum hero, but he never, he, he became more of a pop hero, you know? Even though about, I, I, I consider about, him a drum, drum hero. What about from Iron Maiden? Anika, where would he be? Oh, oh this is, these are in different generations. Got it, okay, okay. Then the okay. next generation, I think, okay. was the Billy Cobham 72. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was 67. Gotcha. Right, okay. sixty-seven went up to like seventy-two when Cobham, Lenny White, Alphonse Mazone, that whole era came out. So, then what did you think that's about when that? you came when, in? When those cats hit, awesome. What about- when I first heard Billy, because I was doing a lot of stuff, <laughs> I, I was doing. Uh, here we are, I'm hitting you five on that. When I was, I was doing stuff where I'd play 
my right hand playing things like the, the you know number six in the uh, stick control book, right, left, left, right, left, right, right, left. You know, I was basing the rhythm off the, even though I, I just played it, I didn't think of what I was playing. But I was playing, you know, with Bella the Simmel and all that. When I heard Billy, I said, man, that sounds like me on 78. <laughs> you know, yeah. really fast. Mm-hmm. And I just forget about it. When Ma Vista came out, that in the Mountain Flame, I was just blown away. I was like, it. Whenever they played in New York, I was there. Now, I met Billy and I met Billy when he was in Dreams. I love that band too. Yeah, they opened up for us with Cactus. Mm-hmm. And I met Billy, he had 24 bass drums and he was, he was a monster. So I met him then. So when I heard him with Ma Vishnu, he was really, you know, Dreams was more, more jazzy, mm-hmm. you know, but Ma Vishnu had that jazz rock. Mm-hmm. You know, they had that funk jazz rock in there you know and then when billy did his own albums you know forget it i loved it that's when you went and i loved it when you joined oh, now my vision was one of my favorite bands okay so that's the 72 yeah, era and yeah, yeah. you know you were you were like at the tail end of that mm-hmm. and then 78 the police Stewart, you know and that whole era of 78 which was like there were some other guys in the, that era came out and that whole reggae thing started. I said, wow, that is so cool. He was, that was my favorite band. Wow. You know, Sting is my were, friend. He's a good man. And I hung out with him at his house. He's, yeah. He said, man, that's a, that's a snare drum I played on uh, every, every breath you take. And sit down and play it. I'll be playing it. And say, you know, he's behind me playing kungas. And, you know, he, he's a good guy. Really yeah. a fun guy. You know, and, in the video... Is where they is where Stuart Copeland cut Rumblefish, so he's that's where that's where he recorded. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and it was that was a whole the next realm, you know. And then the, the '80s came around. Then it was like people like uh, my brother came up. You know, he was he started playing really great. Can I cut and, you right there? Yeah. I just watched this morning, just kind of refresh my brain uh, on YouTube. I saw a piece of you and Benny playing together, and I'm so yeah. I always knew he was great, your brother, as yeah. well. Yeah. But t- there's a piece that's on YouTube right now of the two of you just playing together. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. We it's do gigs beautiful. called we do gigs called Drum Wars. Yeah, okay. It's beautiful. And we go out and we play our hits and we do the drum stuff in between. But it's great because he's more like Buddy Rich, really fast singles and combinations. I'm more like the Gene Krupa, you know, more melodic, more showy, you know, and it works really great. But but, you know, Vinny became an awesome drummer. He's an amazing drummer. And, and there's that whole 80s era. There were a lot of good drummers in it, that era, you know? I mean, Lars from Metallica, I, I believe he started a whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that death metal, that crunching <laughs> guitar sound. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I consider heavy metal, mm-hmm. you know? With Lars doing that fast bass drum stuff. I mean, he was the first guy, you know, of that era. Then was my brother with Black Sabbath and Dio and all that. And then, it, then Nico was playing with Pat Travers, and he was awesome. And then he played with, uh, uh, with uh, Iron Maiden now, and he, he was always a really good player, a really great player. And then, you know, and then it just started getting lots and lots more because now you got all the – everybody's doing clinics, you know. And then Steve Smith with Journey. But, <laughs> but Steve, you know, Steve was so underplayed in Journey. I mean, Steve, I know you talked to him recently too. Yeah. I mean, he's – He's the scientist. Oh, yes, he is. 
He's the scientist. Like, you know, we all did that modern drama festival. Yes. I engineered my own stuff in the studio here. The first time it was the first thing I did. Okay. I was very happy with the sound and then we sent it in. So I didn't get to see it because uh, I couldn't get on. I don't know why, but all the passwords were messed up. And I, when it comes to passwords on the internet, I get frustrated. I go, I'm done. Right. right. So I still didn't see it. Right. But anyway, I have a video of what they put on, which they sent it to me, Modern Drummer. So, so as it was going, I, I even forgot that it was on. And while I was trying to get on the damn thing, I get a text from Steve. Steve says, Carmen, I just watched your thing, man. What a great groove. Awesome, man. The combinations, the right, left, left, right. So I was talking about Neil. And, you know, when Neil told me he liked what I did on my song Lady by BBA, blah, blah, blah. So I said, oh, thanks, Steve, you know. And he once called me and said, you know what? I just finished listening to Vanilla Fudd's third album. And he said, everything John Bonham ever did is on that album. Wow. Steve said that to me. Wow. I yeah. said, wow, mm-hmm. coming from you, man. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. What a compliment, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've been good, good friends. Every time I'm in town when he's, he's playing, I, I try and go and see him. I mean, I see him do some of the tablet stuff there, verbully mm-hmm. in between. Between solo, I said, this guy's unbelievable, yeah, you know? Yeah. So Steve sent me what he did. Mm-hmm. On, I don't know if you saw it. He played a solo in 15 eighth, and, and he counted it off, right? So I was counting it as he was doing it. Got to the point where I, I couldn't even count anymore. He was so counter everything that was in my head for 15 eighth that I, I lost it all. I couldn't, I didn't even know where he was, mm-hmm. you know? And I said, I text in the back. I said, dude, you are like the most incredible scientist, amazing drummer I've ever met. Wow. You know, I mean, you're, you're, he's just amazing. He really yeah. is. Yeah. Big love, big love. Now he's, so he's in that 80s drum hero. You know, there's a lot of drum heroes in the 80s that came up. Speak to and the Neil, people. He got Neil, you know, Neil. He was in that 80s. He, even though he started in the 70s, he didn't really get going until the 80s. You know? Speak to the people who don't understand how much power, heart power, love power, energy power goes into being a drummer and how much it takes to be a drummer and to to play a a proper concert, which you've done over and over and over again, how much energy it takes. People don't really understand that. Can you speak about that? Uh, Man, it takes a lot of energy. You know, when when I was young, like the solo you were looking at today. Yeah. That was done in 1976. So what was I? I was 30 years old. And I, I'm looking, I go, man, I'm like a animal speed freak in that thing, you know? And, you know, I look at some of my old solos and like it, you know, it's hard to do when you get older. Like my age, I'm 73 now, you know, to play like that is difficult. I mean, I, I could play similar to it, but not like that, you know? But, you know, it just takes everything. You know, when you go on stage, when I go on stage, you know, uh, or I'm doing a performance, I just think of nothing but what I'm doing, you know, and uh, depend on what band I'm with, you know, like with Rod Stewart, you know, it took a lot of energy, but took more energy to play simple yeah, and play groove, you mm. know? So I would concentrate on the chicks in the front row and I'd pick different women to play to, mm-hmm. you know, and that would give you the inspiration if, you know, they're, they're, oh, yeah, you're looking at them, they, they, they feel the vibe. You know, with, when you, with BBA, there was like Guy Freak, you know, 
with Jeff Beck, there's freaks in the audience, you know, air guitar and air drummers, you know, and you know, you pick a few out and you play to them, mm -hmm. you know? So I found that always helped getting my focus on what I needed to do on stage, right. you know? And, uh, you know, I still do that to a point, but, you know, you, you just go on the stage. It's like when you hit the stage, it's like a switch goes on. Here it comes. All the energy, all the power gets focused into that performance, you know? Now of late, because I'm older, when I come off the stage, I'm a bit like wobbly, you know, because of all the energy I put out, you know? Yes. But uh, it's, you know, my father told me when I was, when he was 77 years old, he said, you know, my brain still feels 17. Yeah. But my body don't. Right. And I, I, I get that now. Mm -hmm. I understand. Because I still feel and want to do all these things and, yeah. and think about playing these things, doing. And then I look at my body, I'm looking at my arms, I'm looking at wrinkles, I'm going, wow, when did this happen? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's pretty well. You haven't, you're not there yet. <laughs> we'll all get there. You know, but, Amen. you know, it's like uh, I've been blessed. I had a blessed career, you know. Um, I've become more of a Christian now because uh, I almost died two years ago. So long story short, we changed all the flights. We waited a day. On the way home, I bleed on the plane, right? A doctor on the plane puts up an IV. I got an IV on the plane. Doctor told the pilot, if you don't land this plane somewhere, this guy's going to bleed out on your, on your watch. He's a famous drummer. It's going to be all over the news and your fault. Wow. So they geared off. They veered off and dropped me and my brother off in the Azores. You know where the Azores is? Not really. In the middle of nowhere. Under Greenland. In the middle of nowhere. Under Greenland. Okay. Okay. Under Greenland. I'm in a hospital. They spoke Portuguese. Okay. They didn't even have an airport. They had landed a military base some sort so i'm in there for three days and finally my wife got me a um a medical airlift out the closest places back to europe to paris i went all the way back to europe with my brother in, in paris in a, in a little learjet medical air, airplane right with a medical team i get back there my nose is packed while i'm in europe uh, in paris i'm getting a bit of a fever they wanted to cut my face open get to my nose my wife said no way you got to go into the audit they wouldn't listen by a miracle by a miracle, she got a medical ailment back to New York. When I was in the Azores, I, I, they knocked me out to, to pack my nose. I woke up in a room. It was all black except for a little light. I thought I died. And that's when I grabbed my cross. I started praying, please, don't make me be dead. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I got back to New York after a big hassle. They took the gauze out, and the doctor says he may be mentally disabled because the gauze was infected mm -hmm. right, in my nose. Mm -hmm. So... 24 more hours, I would have been dead. Wow. God. Right? So I, they did the surgery again. That was 2018. In March of this year, I had another bleed. So now they come to the conclusion this vein keeps growing back. So that's why I'm not going to Europe or anywhere like that anymore. You know? So okay, anyway. About, you said Christianity. Yes. Speak. So, so from, from then on, I started reading the Bible every day. I listen to it every day, every day, every day. I'm on my uh, fourth or fifth time now. And, so, and I started going to churches, the Christian churches where the bands play. Like uh, down here, I just found a church down here. 
and they had electronic drums. So I just got them. They should arrive today. A D drum kit for my sponsor for the church, you know. Oh, nice. And I wrote a song called Jesus Forever, uh, from which takes some of the lyrics from that experience of when I almost died, especially when I was in that room that was dark, you know, the light, you know. Can you, and, can you sing some of it? Yeah. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Hold on. Well, the hook is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus forever. You are the Son of God Almighty. You are the, uh, you're sent from us, you were sent to us from heaven, Son of God Almighty. We're, we're preaching, uh, 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 preaching our real, preaching our holy. I can't remember all of it. But, uh, you are the highest. You are the one that saved my life. I was in darkness until I saw the light. Now, now I'm here, you know, and Jesus forever. Beautiful, you know, is and there, I wrote uh, it. I wrote it on my iPad. I did. I played everything: drums, keyboard, everything. I sang it, and I want Rick Derringer to play on it because Rick's a Christian. Yeah. And trying to get him to do it is like pulling teeth. It's unbelievable. He said, "I want to do it. I want to do it." You know, and then I'm realizing he doesn't know much about recording in his own little studio. You know, okay. yeah. I, I sent him. I said, "I'm going to send you stems." He goes, "I don't know how to do stems." Okay. Send me a wave. Mm-hmm. Okay, I sent him a wave. I sent him again yesterday for the third time. Mm-hmm. He keeps losing it. <laughs> okay. You know, but I found this guy, this Christian singer in the church who is an unbelievable singer and keyboard player. And I went up to on the stage Sunday to see, because he had this, this rig, he's talking into mics, he's operating. He operates the whole thing. You know, he'll he'll go into the mic and tell the band who have the inner ear saying, hey, Okay, let's vamp on A, and then he'll go into a whole preaching thing. And then he'll do a signal, and then they'll move on to the next part. And he turns the track down, turns it up, starts the track, takes out the click. I mean, while he's singing, mm-hmm. I said, "Wow, mm-hmm. I'm impressed." Yeah, he's got a tremendous voice. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get him to sing on this track. Great, he can sing hear- it a lot better than me. Well, you know? I, I definitely want to hear it. I'm so happy to hear. I you will send it to you. Yeah, so, so much of what you're saying is uh, ringing a bell with me because uh, uh, like this. Can you see this? Yeah, a candle. Yeah, man. The light, dude. Yeah. I believe this music that we play is about that spirit that's coming through you, me, all of yep. us. Yep. And I think that we talk about it. It's wonderful. I was, uh, I'm with Greg Bissonette, who honored you recently. Oh, and yeah. I love Greg. He, yeah, he's the same. He's like... Greg. The spirit. He's got the spirit. Yeah. I mean, Greg has got some, uh, so much energy. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. you know, talk about spirit. We had Ted Nugent on our show that I wanted you to do the other day. It was almost like we couldn't get a word in. I don't know if you ever seen Ted do interview. He's like a bundle of energy. Took the guitar out and he's playing. He's making a great, you know, the spirit is in him mm-hmm. of, of music. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, he's, he's a believer in hunting and, you know, being the free spirit, you know, and being able to do, you know, what you, what you do. Like he'll, he'll kill animals, but he, he uses them as food. He doesn't just kill them for, for the hell of it. Then he, he, he feeds the animals. He, he like plants, plants trees and, and stuff that the animals will eat on his ranch so he can hunt them and use them for food. But he's an amazing, amazing bowl of energy. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. I mean, really cool. I'm I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. He's from Detroit. We always yeah. heard, the, you know, Ted Nugent and Boy Dukes. Yeah, you know, they were famous for their yeah. sound. Yeah. So 
Yeah, yeah, I know. He's, I know he has energy because out of Detroit was coming. Mitch, Mitch, Mitch Ryder, Detroit Wheels. Yeah, were hot yeah, yeah. Same time. Awesome. Bob Seger was hot at the same time. Yeah, yeah, man. You know we mean? did gigs. We did gigs with all those guys. <laughs> we did gigs with Bob Seger when uh, with Cactus, and his drummer had these two giant tom toms up here. With yeah. they were made of air conditioning vents. Did you ever see that? Nope. No. Yeah, and that no. gave me the idea to do these overhead toms that I did with Ludwig in the in the seventies. Okay. You know, and that was like 1971, 70, 71. And it was awesome. He, the, the, the tubes came out and faced the audience, big, giant air conditioning tubes. Damn. And they had the head on it. So he'd Damn. go, boom, and the sound would go like that and right out to the audience. It was awesome. Oh, God. Okay. That was before Bob Seger had any really big kids. It was Rambling Man. That was it. Okay. You know? Okay. Great time. I got to ask you just a few more things. Uh, Tim Bogart. Yeah, uh, he's a big part of your history, and he was known for being a cat. We didn't expect to have as much soul as he had. Yeah, I mean, in our time, we looked like a James Jameson out of Motown. The cat yeah. was like boo doo 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 But here, yeah, yeah. Bogart seemed to have like with you in the rock world, bringing that soul funk. This yeah. is why you guys are like current now. Yeah, think yeah. about him, man. Unfortunately, Tim is very sick now. You okay. know, they they only get yeah. They gave him uh, X amount of months to live. He's got he's got a cancer. It's terrible, you know. So he's like my brother, you know. And his his main guys, Duck Dunn, Jameson, all the all the R&B guys. I mean, come on. When he was growing up, there were no Jack Bruce's. There were no there were no people like that. You know, there's no John Entwistle's. You know, who was another amazing player, and you know. We just listen to that stuff. That's what we, we, that's what we play to, you know, that's what we play gigs. I used to play gigs and all the stuff we played was when the Beatles came out, I thought it was a joke. You oh, know, okay. we used to goof on them. We used to wear Beatle wigs and, and do dirty versions of their songs to the clubs, you know, and we used to play R and B and blues and, and some jazz, you know, well, I never played uh, jazz with Tim. But when I joined the Vanilla Fudge, we did all, you know, Little Anthony Imperial. So I think I'm going out of my head. Oh, man. Incredible. It's Growing Temptations. uh, Yes. Ain't You Pout to Beg. I mean, all that stuff. We did all that James Brown stuff. And that's all we played. Mm -hmm. All our teenage years growing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Isley Brothers, you know. Do you love me? The Contours, you know. That's right. All that stuff, you know. That's beautiful music. And then when, you know, after we made it, then it started becoming really cool. You had Sly, you had Tower Power, you had all these different uh, uh, so R&B rock bands that came out, you know? And, uh, you know, then it was really cool. But me and Tim were like, we were like, like that. I mean, we didn't even have to think about when we played. We just played and, you know, I do a film. and Tim knew what I was doing and he joined writer and it was, he, he knew what I was gonna do almost, you know? I often had to tell Tim, Tim, you need to calm down a little bit because you do such stuff that's so out there that if you're playing out there all the time, people don't realize how out there it is unless you come back to something. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're playing boom, 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 you know, rather than being all the time, because that's what he started doing. He started overplaying a little bit. Okay, you know, I got you. I got you. You know, but I got you. but he was 
inspiration to many, many, many bass players. Did you enjoy the rock trio, Ham Yourself and Beck? That, that kind I of space. It. I loved it. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. You know, matter of fact, when we played the mix, Don Mix did the, uh, Don Nix actually mixed the album and produced mm -hmm. it. And when we heard it back, it was mostly bass and drums, and Jeff was in there, but it was very bass and drum heavy. So we said to Jeff, there's no hardly any guitars. He goes, yeah, I know. I told him to do that because I love hearing you and Tim play. Okay. I said, whoa, you know, we want to hear Jeff play more, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's good, but, you know, his guitar could have been a little louder. I got you. And then we could never do a second album. We could never get Jeff back into, okay, and we have a live album that we mix. I mixed with Jeff's engineer two years ago. Okay. That's supposed to come out. We're waiting for Jeff's manager to put it together. He's got eight new songs. Oh, okay. And and three of the original done live at the London Rainbow in front of three thousand people, okay. and it was unbelievable. And I'm mostly fronting the band, you know, from the drums. You know, mm -hmm. so that's what I always did. Talk about the independence. You know, I'm over there right. playing yeah. four way and singing. Like there was one song called Blue Murder with my group Blue Murder, right? Okay. It was sort of like a uh, pretty shuffle one. Check at the boom boom, check at the bomb bomb. And there's a shuffle on the right hand. Hi hat, down down. You know, I'm playing that. We played on the record. We started playing it live, and I'm supposed to be singing the backgrounds with Tony Franklin, the bass player. They're screaming, do murder. I'm singing to survive. One more. So I started doing. I I started messing up the groove, and I said, Oh my God. This is like a fifth independence. I better practice this. So I went home and I sat there and practiced playing that groove and singing that vocal part until I got it. Yeah. Because it was it was difficult. Yeah, as I'm saying. It we don't difficult. think about it because yeah. you're doing five things at once. Yeah. Five five things at once. <laughs> I know. My wife is playing, she used to play piano when she was a kid, so she just got a, a Beatle book. We have a, a mini grand in our living room. So she bought what she wants to play. And I'm really blown away that she could actually sit down and still read it. Read it. You know, I mean, I can't just sit down and read like, you know, like that, you know, and she's playing it and reading it slow, making a mistake, but she's getting it. You know, one time I did a symposium at the symposiums at the end of the night, you know, we had Buddy Rich was a, a guest and Ed Shaughnessy and me and, and, you know, everybody would have a night to do something. So I had my night, but then they needed someone to do this other thing. I said, oh, I'll try and do it. And they handed me the sheet of music. It was like, see my arms disappearing? Yes. That's how long it was. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, give the, let me have this two or three days before so I could look at it. Right. So I'm looking at it. I, even having it two or three days before, I, I, I couldn't do it. Right. And Shaughnessy came in that afternoon. Put it up on a thing. Didn't even, never rehearsed it. Just looked at it once, played it right away. Wow, so that's great thing. reader. Yeah, great reader because that's yeah. what he had to do on TV every that's night. Right. That's right. You know, that's I mean, right. I don't read that much. I mean, I know how to teach it. I know the, all the. I I know all the stuff. I could, I could read. You know, music like uh, and exercises and stuff. But to actually cut a show, you know, I'd have to work on that. So mm -hmm. I never really did that. Okay. You know, you know. What about the magic of you and T.M. Stevens? I know you love T.M. Oh, I he's, love T.M., He's trying to get man. better now, too, but we, we send a lot of love. Have, I know are you, you in love touch him. with him? 
I can be from time to time. He is kind of convalescent. I don't know where he is, but last time I saw him, it was weird because uh, I played in New Jersey in uh, Asbury Park with Vanilla Fudge. Mm -hmm. And TM came up to me. You know, he's always had the blonde dregs and all the colors. And he came up wearing regular glasses, like round glasses, rim. His hair was gray instead of all colors. And he was wearing like just a really, he looked like a bookworm. Okay. You know? And he said, and he had like the TNA stuff we did and the stuff we did together in his arm. He said, come on, hi, it's TM. Remember me? I said, yeah, of course I remember you. And he said, yeah, you know, we did this album. Remember that? I'm thinking, what's going on? And Pat Travis told me, he said, there's something wrong with TM. Like, this is like two or three weeks before that. I said, why? He goes, I saw him and there's something wrong with him. He's not the TM we knew. I said, I I don't understand. So when I met him, I I rang through. I said, so what is it? Dementia? What's wrong with him? You know? Well, I don't know everything. I just know he suffered some, some stroke. And oh, yeah, stroke. Him. So he's kind of like living. When you talk to him, he'll always say the same story over and over again. Oh. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, but exactly. I love him so much because he I love him. Like he's what a great bass, bass player. Man. What a so, great bass player. I know you love him. I have to, I have got to mention him, you know. Yeah, I took him on. We took him to, to Europe with us, me and Pat. And the, the, the worst thing about him, every time I use him, he never practiced, he never rehearsed. You know, uh, I had him do him when... Uh, um, who got sick? Somebody got sick. Uh, oh, uh, our keyboard player got sick, Mark Stein. Okay. And we, uh, our bass player in the Fudge Now, we replaced him. He also plays B3, and, and Mark was his idol, so he knows a lot of the songs. So he was going to play B3, and I asked TM to come in and, and play bass. I gave him all the songs to learn. But day of the gig, finds out that he didn't rehearse them. He didn't know them. Okay. Luckily, our road manager was a bass player and, and he'd been with us a bunch of times. He said, I could play these songs. So he played the songs. And then we brought him up for the last number to play You Can't Do That, the Beatles song that we had on one of our albums. And we let him play that with us. And, you know, he got the audience riled up and, and singing and everything else. Yeah. And then we took him on tour with me and Pat and the same thing. And we did a DVD and he, he, he didn't learn the songs. Okay. You know, but... What an amazing bass player and a singer. Oh, my God. We had him write the lyrics to one of the songs on our TNA record. And they were great lyrics. Mm -hmm. Great lyrics. Mm -hmm. And he sung it. Yeah. I want to let you know that uh, Carlos Santana is now in the studio. I know he's sung his love through to you. He just arrived. Ah, yeah. He loves when you do this thing like them. Set me free. Why don't you, baby? He loves that yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, man. Everybody. Get out my life. Why don't you, baby? It's a bit high, though. It's a bit high. Your power, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah man. I know. I, I met him. You know, I've known him through the years. When I was in Australia once, uh, I went to see him outside. And he saw I was there. He said, hey, come on up and play. Yeah. I went up and played. I don't even know what I played with him. I played yeah. something. But, but we had we had fun. And I love his wife. Yeah, Cindy's beautiful. Cindy's awesome. Oh, me, awesome. me and Cindy go back. I mean, we did a clinic in, in Europe, and I was uh, I was endorsed by Slingland at the time, and Slingland owned Gibson. Yes. So when we landed in, in France, and we had there was like a two or three hour drive to where we were going to do this clinic. It was a festival, so I had the the Gibson bus, you know that Gibson tour bus that they have, and I was the guitarist, 
So I had the European uh, uh, version pick me up at the airport to take me there. We happened to be on the same plane. So I said, how are you getting to the place? Because oh, I was going to, you know, I think somebody's coming to pick me up or, or I was going to rent a car or something. I can't remember. I said, look, I got this bus pick me up. It's going to be me. on. Why just go with me? Yeah. She goes, okay. So me and her were on the, on the Gibson bus. And the whole time at the festival, the Gibson bus was parked outside. It was like our home to go to after, like, if we did the clinic, we want to go relax, you know, and have a sip of some water or, you know, Coke or whatever we're drinking, you know. She was awesome. She was a great player. Oh, yes. Carmine, I love you. I want to let you know that um, we love you because you're a great person, good person, and you've given so much through the years. And from me to you, uh, I love the fact that you're funky, that you got power, that you are, you're a sensitive cat, and you love your music, and you love people. And you have been like an inspiration for me. I remember oh, when, I, when we first did Wired, you were the first cat who told me you love Wired. You, yeah. out of all the cats in the world, it was you yeah. who yeah. told me about that. So I was like, yeah. I like this guy. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> Nice. I also remember seeing you in Florida with Clarence Clemens at the at the, the failsafe. Um, yeah, 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 that's right. That's the hard so, rock. Yeah, the you're hard always rock. giving so much. So, yeah. you know, I just want to just give back to you because you've been really, really cool, man, all the time. Yeah, and I loved I loved Clarence too. He was awesome. Yeah. yeah. And also, I want to congratulate you on being Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, uh, on these years of 2013. Yeah, yeah. And then Thank 2014 you. for the Modern Drummer. Yeah. And you. Modern Drummer loves you so. Yeah. Here we are, man. Here we are, dude. I know, and I just signed all my books to Modern Drama Publication, so I'm going to be heavily involved in Modern Drama for the next 10 years. Okay, brother. That means well, I'll be 83. Ooh, I love it. Come on, man. <laughs> I have a new single called We Can Live Forever. I, I love your new album. I, I love The Real Baptism, dude. Ooh. That's, that's the Jesus. one that's I about, like. That's about Jesus, in my mind. When yep. he goes, boom, boom, I feel like it's John. Yeah, Did man. The love in the, in the water, and yep. it comes up, and he realizes. And it inspired me. I said, I'm going to go write a song like that. Oh. I'm, I'm writing a new song. It's called The Game Breaker. Okay. About Jesus. I want to hear everything. I want to hear it, too. Yeah. I, I, so far, I just have lyrics to the, uh, the title and a few lyrics in between. But I got to find the right groove. But I, want, I use your real baptism as the inspiration for that. Well, if I can do anything with you, I'm here. You know, okay, man. And we got files. We can, we, yeah. we can do files. <laughs> yeah, we can do files. We can do files. Cool, man. Okay, brother. I'd love, I I'd love, to, come, I'd love to come out to California and, and actually do something with you in the studio live. This is, our, this is your home. It's called Tarpan Studios. It's a great place. I've been here since 85. Yeah, okay. You're welcome anytime. All right, man. Love you, brother. Carmine, God bless you, bro. God bless you, man. See ya. Well, 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 well. I hope you all really enjoyed hearing Carmine's insights. Carmine's thoughts, his heart, soul, patterns, the way he feels about life. What a great teacher and with all the wisdom he's got to impart to us. And most importantly, just admire his great life of achievement. You know, he and his brother put those drums down uh, since they were like little kids. And they've been great, great uh, inspirations for all of us. So big, big love to Carmine. God bless you, Carmine. All your endeavors, we're here for you. Modern Drummer loves you. Upbeat loves you. Norm Michael Walden loves you. The whole world loves you. God bless you, Carmine. Okay, God bless you. Happy, happy holidays, everybody. Peace out. D-Drum's story begins in Sweden in 1983. It was then that D-Drum created the digital percussion plate one, the first electronic drum pad allowing for dynamic playing using sampled sounds. 
crowned as an incredible breakthrough in electronic percussion, D-Drum's innovative drum pads and sampling technology quickly garnered a large and loyal following. In 2005, D-Drum saw the beginnings of what would become the brand as we know it today. One of D-Drum's decisions at that time was to greatly expand its product line to include acoustic kits, snares, and hardware. And while D-Drum is proud of its history and its legacy of innovation, they want to be a company who could also serve the needs of today's drummer. D-Drum is a company of drummers for drummers. The team at D-Drum is like that drummer who still gets excited when they see a beautiful kit. So when you see the tagline, everything for today's drummer, what it really means is that they make the drums for you, all of you. The Dio's drum line is D-Drum's flagship production instrument, combining thin North American maple shells, bullet tube lugs, and beautiful lacquer finishes. With a highly pleasing sound and warm tone with amazing attack, Dio's maple drums sonically stand up to other professional drums at any price point. Go to ddrum.com, that's D-D-R-U-M.com, for more info on Dio's and everything else D-Drum. Hello everybody, I'm David Frangioni, and my guest today is Gary and Grafia from D-Drum, and he's going to share with us all the exciting things that D-Drum is up to. How great to have you here today. Welcome, Gary. Great to be here. How you doing, David? I'm doing great. Thank you, Gary. So, Gary, you're back at D-Drum. What's the latest happening with D-Drum? Go deep on us. Give us the latest and greatest <laughs> in these products. All the drummers out there want to hear all the juicy details straight from the source. So, hey, I appreciate the question, David. Um, uh, as most people know, maybe they don't know, you know, we've had the Dios uh, Maple line in place. Uh, it was, uh, it came out, I believe, in the mid 2000s, um, went away, and then it was brought back a few years ago, which is a beautiful uh, lacquered finished maple kit that if you go to either ddrum.com or the ddrum's YouTube page or even on Modern Drummer, you'll start to see how these drums sound. It's an amazing, amazing maple kit. Um, and that's that near the top of your right line. now, um, our flagship maple kit. Uh, that's your flagship. One more time, David. That's your flagship. It is the flagship right now. Okay, awesome. And yes, I've sir, heard the, the Dios, the Dios line is they are amazing. Um, and then from there, uh, we do have the D Drum Dominion line, another line that was, uh, when I was here last time, was a huge, huge hit in the industry. We um, we really hit a home run with that back in the, uh, in the late 2000s. And that has come back with new mounting system, uh, old birch shells instead of maple this time. Um, and that is another amazing sounding drum set. I mean, some of the things, um, the simple changes that are made with, with brackets being moved and mounting system shifting. And uh, there's a lot of guys out there that know that the positioning, just the positioning of a tom on a tom arm changes the resonance of the drum, either the, on the top of the rod or middle of the rod. A lot of drummers out there might not know that, but you, um, it's one of the things we focused on with Dominion, especially with the, with the mount and the bass drum, that it's clear that the positioning needs to be in certain places. So we're really focused with these two lines on focusing on 100% what the drums sound like. They happen to look great too, but the drums sound incredible. So we're excited about that. Um, this year, uh, we've just released the new um, entry-level kit, the D2 line. Um, uh, D2, uh, once again, was uh, very, very popular over the last several years. Um, and now we've upgraded it with uh, new double tom holder, which is fully adjustable, um, uh, new badges, new wraps. The shells are great. Um, and, I mean, I think the price point in the market is $399, which is crazy. 
Wow. Um, yeah, incredible sounding that's, drum kit. So that's uh, a great Christmas the- gift for the up and coming drummer. Yeah, it, it would be. Uh, hopefully you can get out there and find some because they were like hotcakes when they came in. So um, <laughs> go and find some. <laughs> that's a good problem to have. But that's an awesome um, and also, uh, you know, one of the. It's a ridiculous price point. Yeah. One of the um, one of the series that often kind of I wouldn't say gets overlooked, but um, we have a series called the Max series, which is a blended shell between maple and alder. Alder, as you guys know, I mean, in the industry, alder's been used for guitar bodies for forever. Uh, and it is a, a very resonant, uh, unique sounding wood. So this drum set, in fact, Carmine and Peace, he absolutely loves the Mac series drums because it kind of combines the qualities of, of a cutting, like a, of a birch and the, obviously the qualities of maple. So you have a very unique attack and an overtone that's kind of like maple but it's definitely a little warmer than that so it's it's an amazing sounding drum set the max series so we're going to do some things with that going forward as well and seeing how we can tweak that and also let's be honest telling the story of of alder um and telling the story of the sound of the drums is important because uh and modern drummer's been around a long time i unfortunately have been around a very long time as well and um uh, drummers tend to gravitate towards what they know. They gravitate towards maple, they gravitate towards birch, and once in a while, some other woods creep in like beech. And, uh, but when you start seeing uh, woods that they're not familiar with, like some companies use some, some woods that um, uh, I can't even pronounce, uh, and drummers tend to, ooh, you know, I, I don't want to go near that. So breaking in a new wood type into a drum line uh, is pretty difficult to do uh, because to them, it just sounds like, Oh, they've, they're, they're just using some filler wood along with uh, maple, but that's not the truth. There's a conscious decision made to use alder in these drums. So um, guys need to check that stuff out. Uh, the max series kits are amazing sounding drums as well. So Gary, tell us about, the future of D-Drum, starting with your arrival there and what things are going to look like as it goes forward. Thanks. I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about it. So, you know, I was with D-Drum more than 10 years ago here in uh, the late 2000s. Uh, left, went and did other things for other companies. And now I'm back here again um, with the help of, you know, Evan Rubinson, who's running the, running Armadillo Enterprises here. That's, you know, there's Dean Guitars and Luna ukuleles and guitars under the same roof. And um, he was uh, looking to move the brand to another level. I mean, the brand is doing well, um, but he wanted to step it up. So he reached out, uh, we discussed some things and decided to come on board, which was great. So some of the great stuff that's going on uh, here, we have a product development uh, and a product roadmap that I'm putting into place here to really take the brand to the next level. Now, D-Drum has always been a great brand with great products, um, value products, uh, products as far as bang for the buck goes, even on the high-end stuff. If you see some of the Dios uh, performances and uh, the Dominion series, which is an all bird series, amazing sounding drums. Um, and then when you look at the price point, you scratch your head and you, and you say, how, how have they put together such great drums at this price? So. 
what I'd like to do now is take everything that we've been doing and move it forward. So um, to really start tweaking some of the stuff that's in existence right now, configurations and maybe some missions of uh, sizes. Um, you know, we've been known for large um, extended bass drums, and I think we'll still keep them in the mix. But we are, you know, as everybody knows, the trend these days is shorter bass drums. Uh, it went from 18 being standard to now 16 and 14 is the standard in the industry. So making some of those changes going forward, uh, coming out with a couple of new higher end drum lines from the ground up, which is something that I think is going to be very exciting for the brand. Um, developing uh, new shell concepts, new lugs and mounting systems, um, and really taking the brand uh, to the next step because uh, even though the brand has been a steady uh, a steady force in the industry for the last since 1983, starting with the uh, you know everybody knows that D-Drum was known for the electronics back in the 80s. Um, at the time, the only electronic drum set that was considered by professionals a go-to for that. Um, so we've gotten away from that in recent years, um, but we're going to get back to that as well. So uh, what we really want to do is have people turn their heads and say, oh, okay, there's something going on there. They've got their stuff together. They're moving forward. And we're excited about it. I mean, um, thank goodness uh, with the management we have here, uh, I have kind of an open palette to do what I think is going to move the brand. Um, and that's, I mean, since I came here to the office, uh, every day has been focused on moving us to the next level. Well, it's just, it's so great to hear that things are going so well at D-Drum. Gary and Grafia, thank you for joining us today. Modern drummer listeners out there, check out ddrum.com. Check out this entire line of drums from, you know, the D2 at $399 all the way up to their Pro Dio series and everything in between. Uh, just exciting stuff. Got to check it out. Thank you again, Gary. Thanks, David. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, everybody, for watching this week's Modern Drummer Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode exclusively on Podcast One. Until then, stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening and watching. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.